the brethren gather together. So we lift up our heart to you, Father. We say thank you for what you do, are doing in our midst. Thank you that we can participate in what you're doing in this kingdom on this world right now. It's awesome to be a part of what the work of God is doing in us and through us. And there's a story in the Bible about when Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph took him to the temple to do their custom, according to the Jewish custom. And there was a priest named Simeon. And he held Jesus as a baby and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to the word. For my eyes have now seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelations to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here, Simeon had a revelation that Jesus was coming as the Messiah of the Jewish nation but a light and a revelation to the Gentiles, which is us, amen, that we get to participate in the plan of God for salvation before the foundation of the world. See, don't ever reject what Jesus did at the cross. See, he says he, that God, Jesus is, the, is God's salvation, not the church, not your ceremonies, not what you can do. It's about Christ and Christ alone, amen. He is the rock of our salvation. So when we get together here now, what we're doing, we're praising the living King, amen. The lover of our souls, amen. The one that would stand and take a, in a lack of a better word, a bullet for us. He would stand in the gap and take the punch of the enemy, to take the wrath of God and pay a price that we could not pay, that we could receive the salvation of our souls. How good is that, amen? And we're here today to worship you. And we thank you, Father. Thank you for your love and mercy. Invade this room with your mighty glory. Because without you, we are nothing. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Kids can go to the kids' room. They're probably gone already. They did a runner. Praise God. Welcome, everybody, to He Sent His Word Ministries this Sunday. Um, just a couple of quick announcements for those who are new. Um, <clears throat> toilets out there. The male is for men and the female is for females. All right. Got to make that clear. Um, guys, we're having a, on the 18th of December, we're having a Christmas party here. With the, kids, the kids are doing a Christmas concert, I should say. Amen. So all the kids in the kids club or kids ministry. Uh, part, uh, doing a concert for us. So that's the uh, next, the Sunday, 18th of December on Sunday. So anyone who's got kids there, can you please go see Annalise or Rita? They want to have a chat with you uh, about it. So if you have kids in the ministry, please go and see the girls before you pick them up. All right? So 18th of December. Um, there is no church downstairs, so we have to be quiet still. Oh, there is. Sorry. I, I didn't see the sign. Uh, there is another ministry downstairs. They start after us. So when we finish, please just be wary that we keep our voices down because we make a bit of noise on the way out and um, we don't want to upset them. Just have a bit of respect for them on the way out because it, it does echo here. Um, we're on Sundays at 4.30 here and, and obviously Wednesdays from uh, 6 o'clock, 6.30 praying and service should start about 7.30. When I say should, that's put should in capitals. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do on Wednesdays, he does. And um, 
So if you're interested and you haven't been on, you know, some people come Sunday, some people come Wednesdays, you're welcome. But that's what we do here in this ministry. Also, um, just I'm not sure we'll release the dates of where we're going to close over Christmas. So we're going to have a bit of a break over the Christmas break. We'll announce that in the next coming week. Alrighty. All good? All good? Are you here? Yeah? Who's that? Is anyone here? No, it's awesome. We've got the pleasure of the Pastor Dorian to share the word. So if we give him a round of applause, it'd be awesome. There we go. We on? All right, fantastic. Good evening. How are we all? Good to be with you tonight. And um, yeah, believing we're going to get something out of God's word tonight so that we can all change and move forward and progress. Amen. Before I do, I just want to honor Pastor Tony and Pastor Rabs. want to honor their leadership and um, who they are to all of us. They're our pastors, they're, but they are more than that. They're our spiritual fathers. And um, I know so many of us in this room wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for them. So I just want to, yeah, let's give it up for Pastor Tony and Pastor Rabs. And just before we start, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you see each person in this room tonight, and you see where they're at. And I thank you that you meet them where they're at. And I thank you that no one here tonight has to jump through hoops to come to you. That you meet them where they're at. Such is your grace and your mercy. We thank you. You speak to us tonight, Holy Spirit. I give you my tongue. Have your way tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor Rabs and Pastor Tony have both been sharing recently about identity, about the great exchange, and I'm going to pull on that same thread tonight um, that's where I felt led to go and I'm going to continue and I'm believing you're going to be blessed because Jesus is interested in a change of identity for us you think about it he would often change people's name Saul became Paul Simon became Peter what does that mean when someone's name gets changed. It's not just, hey, let's give you a new name for the sake of it. It signifies a change of identity, that the person has changed so much that you don't even call them by the same name anymore. And Jesus says, you are a new creation, that you have been born again. And what happens when you get born? You get given a name. And so when you're born again, in the spirit, you are given a different name. But you can still live under the old name. 
unless you truly adopt your new identity. And it's up to you whether you walk in it or not. And so I want to encourage us tonight in how our identity gets changed. Okay? So, Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 14. Jesus walks, walks past this fig tree. He comes out of Bethany and it says, And seeing afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard him say it. And we know a few verses later, they came back past that fig tree. And the disciples said, wow, it's withered. It had actually withered away and died in a matter of minutes or hours. So he came, Jesus comes looking for fruit on something that he created to bear fruit. And all he could find were leaves. No fruit. He was looking for fruitfulness, but he found no fruit. And I think when Jesus saw the tree, he saw someone. It was almost like he had a flashback. That there was another time where Jesus was. And he came up to something he created to bear fruit but all he found were leaves. And that was Adam in the garden. That What were the first words God spoke to man? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And we know just before he said that, he said, let's create man in our likeness and in our image. So what was Adam called to multiply? He was called to multiply God's image and likeness in the earth. But instead, God came walking in the garden and that which he commanded to be fruitful, he came and he found covered in fig leaves, just like the tree. Why? Because Adam fell. And so... He covered himself, him and Eve covered themselves with leaves, with fig leaves, and they were, no, they were fruitful no longer. They had no fruit. They were just like the fig tree. And they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And In that moment, Adam and Eve, the reason why they put the fig leaves on were they discovered that there's good and there's evil. And it was like they knew in that moment that there was evil in them. That when they fell, their evil was exposed. It was like evil came into them. And that's why they tried to cover it up. And so their identity, God created them and said it's good. But after they fell, it was like their identity changed. Their identity became evil. And so what do the fig leaves represent? The fig leaves represent shame. They represent guilt. They represent condemnation. They represent rejection. 
What else do they represent? Fear. Adam said, I was afraid, so I hid. So we know he was afraid of God after he fell. And if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They hid from the presence of God. Why? Because sin consciousness, being aware of your sin, cuts you off from intimacy with God. And the reason, you know, when you see Adam and Eve depicted in the kids' books, they've got fig leaves on their private part. And I believe that signifies them being cut off from intimacy with God. And it signifies a lack of trust. Before they were naked without shame. They trusted each other, but now they're covered. They don't trust each other anymore, and they don't trust God, and they're hiding from him. And the New Testament, there's a number of times where it tells us what we can trust in when we're not trusting in God. And I'll run through these very quick. We don't have to put them up. Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 24, riches. He says how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So we begin to cover ourselves with riches. John chapter 5, verse 45 says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. We begin to trust in religion and trying to justify ourselves through the law. And this is a big one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You stop trusting in God and you trust in yourself. Your own ability your own strength, your own works. And that's what happens when your identity isn't in Christ, but it's in something else. <clears throat> so sin became their identity. Failure became their identity. And so what is a, if you have a tree and you write failure or sin on the roots, what is that tree going to produce? It's going to produce failure. It's going to produce sin. And then you go pick the fruit and you say, well, this is failure. This is sin. And the fruit that you pick just reinforces the root. And so you end up in this vicious cycle of sin, repenting, confessing sin, confessing sin, sin, confessing. That's how the cycle continues. Fruitless means lack of life. And I believe when Jesus cursed that fig tree and it died, it, he was showing us what that tree already was. It was already dead. It was already withering away. It, was, it, it didn't have, it, it lost the identity of a fig tree. 
because you know it by its fruit. And so it had no fruit. So it had lost its identity. And so the tree was already withering away. <clears throat> so you are a tree. We look at yourself as a tree, and God calls you to be fruitful. That's your call. And we look at the fruit of Adam and Eve. I mean, they're, they're kids. Their son murdered their other son. Like we begin to see what fruit they produced. They were cursed. But thank God, I'm not here to share bad news with you. I'm here to share good news. That despite that, despite where we've come from, God has a plan of salvation for each one of us to get us out of that identity and into a new identity in Christ. Amen. That whilst we were still in that place of corruption, whilst we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And he doesn't see you for where you've been or what you've done, but for what he's done. But the critical thing is, do you see yourself as he now sees you? And that's where identity comes into it. Do you see yourself for what you've done or do you see yourself for what Christ has done? And we talk about this all the time. But to what extent has that truth and that reality penetrated your heart? Because you can, you can sit here, you can even sing the songs, and you can say, Jesus died for me, you can say, I'm saved. But if your identity in the very depths of your heart, if your mind hasn't been renewed, then you can know it but not walk in it. You can know you have a new identity, but not actually live in that new identity and stay stuck in your old identity. So it was like Jesus saw Adam when he saw that fig tree. And he's going to approach all of us. Who's he going to see? Is he going to see Adam or is he going to see himself? He can make the perfect sacrifice. He has made the perfect sacrifice but you can still be standing in guilt, shame and condemnation if that, has, that truth hasn't become a reality. <clears throat> so I want to share tonight truth from the Word of God that will help mould your identity. And this is, this is what Jesus said. He said, Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, he says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. And so I want to tell you tonight that Jesus has made you good. He has made you a good tree. A lot of us try and drive and produce fruit to prove that we're good. A lot of us will look at the fruit we're producing to see whether we're good or not, when in fact, a tree doesn't, doesn't strive to produce fruit. It just produces fruit naturally. And so when you know that 
You are a good tree. That Jesus has made you a good tree. You can rest. And the fruit, the good fruit will just come naturally. You don't have to, you don't have to strive to produce good fruit anymore. You're just a good tree. The fruit begins to appear. You don't have to make it happen. The good fruit just begins to appear. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? So how does Jesus make the tree good? How does he make you a good tree? I want to talk about two things, justification and righteousness. So, and this is, this is the good news of the gospel. And this really, this, this message, if you can get it into your identity, it will, it's a game changer for your walk. It will supercharge your walk with Christ. So Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Righteousness, which is being right in the image of God is revealed and it's by faith. So let's go do a bit of a history lesson. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 4 to 6, God is establishing a covenant with Abraham. And he's talking to him and he says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. This is God talking to Abraham. And it says in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. And Paul talks about this particular incident in, the, in Romans, in the New Testament, a lot. And why is it so significant? It's the moment that Abraham was justified before God. But what does it mean? Why is it so significant for us? Why does Paul talk about it? says, he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed and it was credited to him. It was like righteousness was credited to his account. You looked in Abraham's account and now there was righteousness because he believed. He didn't do anything. He just believed. So, why do we pray? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we fast? It's not to earn God's righteousness. It's because we already have it. You can't earn God's righteousness. He gives it as a free gift. You already have it. And you know what's frustrating for a believer? 
trying to earn something you already have. Can anyone relate to that? Trying to earn something that you already have in Christ. So justification. And I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to get a bit legal on you, if that's all right. So justification is when you are declared righteous. And it's a judicial act. It's when God acts as judge, not as father. And where he pardons your sins when you believe in Christ and he accepts and treats you as righteous in the eyes of the law. But it's more than just forgiveness, right? We often talk about being forgiven, but righteousness is more than just forgiveness. It means the justified person, you, has complied with the whole of the law. So it doesn't mean you're forgiven, but when you're justified, it means you've actually complied with the whole law. You haven't just been forgiven. God is actually saying you have actually, when you're in Christ, you've actually complied with the whole law. All of its demands, all of the claims and expectations of the law are satisfied in respect of the justified person. Doesn't mean the law is relaxed. Doesn't mean the law goes away. But when God looks at you, he sees the law fulfilled. It's not compromised, it's fulfilled. So what it means is that you carry Christ's perfect righteousness when you're saved. You carry Christ's righteousness. So when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees Christ. In your spirit, you have the righteousness of Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. That it's no longer you. It's Christ in you. That's who God sees when you stand before him. And it means in your spirit, you've measured up. Why? Because Christ's own righteousness has been credited to your account. You look up the account, you look up Mary's account, and there's Christ's righteousness. It's not Mary's works, it's Christ's righteousness. <clears throat> so, Romans 4, verse 23 to 25, says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offences and was raised because of our justification. What's he talking about here? In a previous scripture, uh, God is talking to Isaac and he says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And the law hadn't even been given then. And God is saying, 
that Abraham, through his faith, had complied with the law before it was even given. 350 years before the law had been given. So imputed, when we just read the word imputed, means credited. So not only have your sins been forgiven, but now there's credit. There's actually credit. When Jesus forgives you, he doesn't just clear your debt. In your account, there's actually credit. Credit with God. He's put his righteousness in you. So that's an important thing for you to understand for your identity. That when you're a born-again believer, you're not just an empty account anymore. You're not just a forgiven sinner. You're actually credited with Christ's righteousness, which means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can actually walk that out. You're not now trying to fill your account up by your own works. You're not trying to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit to fill your account up. You have in you a full account of Christ's righteousness that you can rest in and then walk out and the fruit will come naturally. So in that scripture I just read out, let's go back to it. Now it was not written for his sake alone. This wasn't just for Abraham that it was imputed to him, but for all of us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offences and was raised because of our justification. What he's saying is Abraham is the pattern for all of us. And what he did for Abraham, he will do for you. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13 to 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He hung on a tree that you might become a good tree. So what is he talking about there when he talks about the curse of the law? Well, the, the law had blessings and it had curses. When he's talking about Gentiles, he's talking about you and me. And he's saying the very same blessing that Abraham, um, that, that is given to Abraham is given to you and I. The very righteousness of Christ is given to you. So let's run through a, a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin, become a sin offering so that you might become his righteousness. So get this. Just as Jesus didn't have to commit sin in order to be made sin, you don't have to have done anything righteous to become righteous in Christ. Does that make sense? Just as Jesus didn't have to commit sin to become sin, you didn't 
when you believed, you didn't have to do anything righteous to be credited with his righteousness. He was credited with your sin without committing sin. You were credited with his righteousness without necessarily doing anything righteous. Now, a lot of people take an extremist position on this world and say, well, that means I don't have to do anything uh, <laughs> righteous in Christ. I can just sit back, relax, and I'm, I'm righteous in Christ. No, what I'm saying is this is the starting point of a new identity in Christ. That as you come to serve, as you come to grow in your relationship with God, your identity is one of righteousness, not of sin. Because how can you stand before God and come into his presence if you think you're a sinner? How can you come guilty, ashamed, condemned and, and come into his presence? You'll run from his presence if that's how you're thinking from himself thinking about yourself if that's your identity that you are rejected in god's sight you are guilty you are dirty you are ashamed you are condemned how are you going to stand in his presence and so jesus's plan of salvation is he makes you new you're new now come now you're you're welcome into his presence and that is the starting point of your journey that's not the end point where you just kick your feet up and relax and go, oh, I'm all set now. I'm just waiting for the trumpet to blow. It's the starting point. It's the start of the process. It is the great exchange, but it is the starting point. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. You inherited Adam's sin. You were made a sinner, a sinner by Adam's disobedience. But the good news is you had no say into being born into sin. You, had, you were born into Adam. You had no say in it. But as a believer, you have a choice to become righteous, to take on Christ's righteousness. And that is his gift by grace. So when Christ gives his righteousness to you, when he credits it to your account, it's not some different type of righteousness. It's not some inferior type of righteousness to Christ. It's the very righteousness of Christ that is credited to you. Isn't that amazing? It's easy to think, yeah, credit to righteousness, okay, you know, uh, I don't know really what that means, and, you know, but it's the very righteousness of Christ that is credited to you. And that's what I'm saying. You hear these things all the time, and they can almost just bounce off you because you've heard them so, so often. It's like, yeah, I know this. Yeah, I've heard this. This isn't, this isn't new to me. But what I want to encourage you in tonight is that this has to penetrate your heart and become the reality in your mind and in your heart, and that's how the new identity is formed. So people say, well, people are often confused by prayer. Well, what's prayer? What do I do? Just This is the process of prayer, where you sit with these scriptures and you meditate on them, and they become real to you, and your mind is renewed, 
and your heart is molded and, and reformed and reshaped so that these scriptures become true. That is the power and the purpose of prayer. <coughs> it's in that place of prayer that your identity is reformed, where this becomes true, where this becomes a reality and not just a theory, not just theology, not just, yeah, I've heard this before, yeah, I know that, and not just, yeah, I can confess all these scriptures. That's just theology. But it becomes identity when it becomes true to you. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Holy, blameless and above reproach. It's like you stand before God without a single fault. So I want to ask you tonight, is that how you see yourself? When you come to enter the presence of God in your prayer time, is that how you, is that how you see yourself? You are holy, you are blameless, you are above reproach. And this is really important. Because if you don't see yourself like that, you can't bear to be in his presence. And so if you're struggling to enter his presence, this is where you need to focus and see how worthy you are to actually enter that place. That he has done everything. He has paved the path for you into his presence. And that's why it's a matter of faith. To what extent do you believe what he's done for you? is the extent to which you can walk the path into his presence. So what does it mean to be above reproach? <clears throat> it's a legal word, and it means you can't be accused of anything, any wrongdoing. It says because Christ's work on the cross, you are above reproach. It means you can't be accused of anything. You can't be accused of any wrongdoing. There's no possibility of anyone accusing you. And when it says in Colossians, in his sight you stand above reproach, you know what his, in his sight means? It's not just like God scanning the earth and in his sight you're above reproach. In his sight, when you look at the meaning, it means there's a deep penetrating gaze like into the very depths of your spirit God is looking that deep and because of Christ's blood he sees you above reproach not because of anything else so that's why I'm encouraging you with these like when you're entering his presence know these know that because it'll take you into a place of intimacy that you otherwise wouldn't have 
Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who do not, did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us as well. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Paul is saying, who can possibly now, now that you are in Christ, bring a charge against you? When someone has been justified and declared righteous by God, who can accuse them? Well, we know who, because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So the point of righteousness is to defeat every accusation of the devil. Because when you come to enter that secret place, he'll be there accusing you day and night, saying you're not worthy to enter here. Look what you did. Look what you just did yesterday. Who do you think you are to enter into God's presence? But the truth says you've been justified. And that means neither Satan, neither yourself, neither anyone else can accuse you in the presence of God. That does away with you thinking you're not good enough. That does away with you thinking you don't measure up. God says, who shall bring a charge? It's God who justifies. So if God won't bring a charge against you, why should you? Why should you? So, of course, does this mean God isn't interested in us changing? Absolutely not. People can take this message and run with it and use it as a license to sin and say, well, I'm covered under grace and I'm righteous and no matter what I do. And what I'm trying to encourage us with tonight is now that you are a good tree, you'll know the extent to which you've received this by the fruit that you produce. So if the fruit you're producing isn't great, well, then I think you need to return to who you are in Christ. And if the pr fruit isn't great, then it means perhaps you haven't believed this. Because if you believe this, the fruit should be good. Why? Because make a tree good and the fruit will be good. And so if the fruit isn't good, maybe the tree isn't yet good because it hasn't believed that it's righteous. <clears throat> so often... Our sinful behaviours, they're not necessarily, they're not behavioural issues, they're belief issues. So, is this good news? Good. <laughs> so, how does this, how does what I've shared, how does it change us? What, what benefit is it to us? How does it help our walk? Because it's not just a nice concept, it's actually given to change us. 
and to transform us. So first of all, it gives you that acceptance and that approval that Adam lost in the garden. Adam was actually ejected from the garden. And in his ejection, he took on that rejection. But now God, through Christ, through his blood, says you are now accepted and approved. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, when Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove and there was an audible voice and it said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. <clears throat> Jesus hadn't. Jesus' ministry hadn't started yet. Isn't it amazing? Jesus, Jesus hadn't been ministering for years and then God finally came and said, this is my beloved son. I've, I've looked at everything he's done and now I'm well pleased. Jesus ministered from that place of acceptance, not to that place of acceptance. Does everyone understand that? That it was that acceptance that he had in his identity with God that enabled him to minister. He didn't minister in order to obtain that acceptance. And so your acceptance is based on the finished work of the cross. Do you still need to have faith? Of course. Do you still need to repent? Of course. Do you still need to mature? Of course. Is this a message, a license for you to sin? Absolutely not. And Paul says that, certainly not. This is not a license for you to sin. It's a springboard for you to grow and to mature. Hebrews chapter 4 says, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. When you understand who you are in Christ, it will enable you to rest. You don't have to work to earn right standing with God or to get into God's good books, Jesus did that. Thank you. <clears throat> I will have a sip. Thank you. Mm. Rejuvenated. <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A new identity is a restful identity. One where you rest in Christ. So Jesus says that, come to me you who are weary and heavy laden. He's talking to the Jewish people who are all about working, you know, complying with all God's regulations and laws. <clears throat> so we have acceptance and approval in our new identity. And this is a big one, and I've touched on it already. But 
You have confident access to God. So if I was to ask you, what is your confidence as a believer? Because this will make a very big difference about how you approach God. If, what is your confidence in as a believer? And a lot of people will say, well, it's in God. Um, I believe in God. That's where, that's where my confidence lies. But a lot of people will say, um, my, the way they live actually is my confidence is in prayer. So if I'm praying, if I pray, uh, you know, three days in a row, then I feel more confident as a believer. And if I'm not praying, my well, my confidence is gone. Or I feel like if I'm helping at a charity or or serving the poor, I feel confident as a believer. And and when I'm not, if I haven't done something like that, I feel you know I feel judged and condemned, and my, I lose my confidence as a believer. <clears throat> but we're to base our confidence on the one thing that is unchanging, and that is the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You have access in your new identity. So some people can think they're justified by faith, but then think access is by works. So yes, I have salvation. I, I, I know I'm, I'm justified, but you can still, in part of you, believe that access to God is through your works. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And we share this one all the time. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, the holiest of holies, the very presence of God, you and I have the boldness to enter into that place that the most senior religious figure in Israel was entitled to enter once a year. Isn't that crazy? The high priest was allowed to enter that place once a year. One person in the whole nation once a year. And Paul is saying, you now have access. Not once a year. Live there. You. Not the high priest. Not the Catholic priest. Not the pastor. But you have access to that very place. And you can come with boldness. You don't have to come ashamed. You don't have to come guilty. You don't have to come unsure. You have boldness. <clears throat> so I have boldness to enter the holiest of holies. By what? By my works? No. By the blood of Jesus. Precious blood of Jesus. Not anything you've done, but by what he's done. <clears throat> Verse 20 says, And a new 
and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a scripture to sit in for hours. If you are struggling in your identity, this is one to take a note of, take a photo of, and sit with it. Let God expose what you truly believe. There's so much in this one scripture that you can draw near, that Jesus is your high priest, that you can have a full assurance of faith, that your heart's been sprinkled from an evil conscience and that you've been washed and that you can enter. So you might be someone who says, well, man, I, I struggle in my conscience. Well, this is a scripture for you. You might be someone who says, I, I don't feel like I have boldness or that true assurance. Like I, there's doubt. Sit with this. Meditate on it. <clears throat> a true heart in full assurance of faith. So that's liberating, isn't it? Yeah? <clears throat> so what draws us away? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An evil heart of unbelief. So what is an evil heart? That's one that doesn't believe that they have a new identity in Christ. And what does it do? It makes you run. It makes you hide. It makes you cover yourself with fig leaves. It makes you try and justify yourself in this world. It makes you rely on riches. It makes you rely on yourself. And fast forward to Hebrews 10 and it says, A true heart is a heart that approaches God with full assurance. And finally, it frees you from guilt and condemnation. Romans chapter 5, it says, For the judgment which came from one offence resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offences resulted in justification. Adam put us into condemnation. Jesus lifts us up into a place of confidence and boldness. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do you walk according to the Spirit? Well, it's through understanding who you are in Christ first and foremost. Because then, when you understand who you are, then you can rest. You lay your flesh down, and that's a process, and you can walk in the Spirit because it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives within you. <clears throat> so what does justification mean? We, we often hear it, and it's true. It says it's just as if I'd never sinned. 
It's just as though I've never done anything wrong, and that's true. But it's more than that. It's not just that you haven't done anything right, right, wrong. It's as though you've done everything right. It's very different. <clears throat> so, I want to share this last scripture because I want to take us back to the fig tree. And a lot of people can look at that scripture and say, wow, Jesus came and saw no fruit and he cursed the tree. Does that mean God's going to curse me? So the last thing I want is for this message to condemn anyone. It's meant to free you and help you walk into a, in a new identity. So in Luke chapter 13, verse 6 to 9, Jesus talks about a fig tree, another in a parable. And I'll finish with this. And he says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years... I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. I believe this scripture, if you look at it in context, what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the second coming or the, the end times. But this is a scripture of mercy. That you're here because God's given you the time. He, you are not that fig tree that he's going to curse from the roots if he can't find fruit on you. He's saying he gives you mercy. There's grace. And he, I believe when he's talking about the person who's going to dig around it and fertilize it and put manure, that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come into your life and dig around your tree and fertilize it and sometimes you know what fertilizer comes from sometimes that means trials but it's the holy spirit that will make the good tree of your identity a reality through the fruits of the holy spirit and so be encouraged by that that there is mercy. You can sit here thinking, oh man, this is terrible. <laughs> but it's good news. It's great news. But it is about getting your identity right. And it's about partnering with the Holy Spirit who'll come. He'll dig around you. There is one other scripture I just remembered I want to share. Because this one puts it, uh, puts it in perspective. It's a beautiful scripture. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It wasn't in the notes, but 
hope you can bring it up. Hosea 10, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, Hosea 10, verse 12. You got, yep. It says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plough up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that, may he, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Righteousness is a seed. Your tree must come from that seed of righteousness. Because even when God created the world, he said, the seed is in the fruit. And so your fruit will come from that seed of righteousness. And your ultimate, the ultimate fruit you are to produce is the crop of love. And it talks about plowing up the hard ground of your hearts. Just like the Holy Spirit digs around that tree, he plows the hard ground of your heart so that this becomes a reality. And I love that it says, now is the time. Don't wait <clears throat> for the right time. Because I used to think, man, that's not cool that Jesus cursed the fig tree. Because right after it says it wasn't the season. Like, fair enough, if you came to the fig tree and it was the season for figs and there were no no, um, no fruit. I could understand that, but I couldn't understand why he'd curse it when it wasn't the season for figs. And you know why? Because now that Christ has come, there is only one season. And it's, Paul says, be ready in and out of season, that we have no excuse anymore. There is no, well, now's not the right time, I'll wait. Or maybe I'm waiting for something to happen and then I'll walk this way. No, there are no excuses. You are, there are two seasons, before Christ and after Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that your word says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I thank you that where there's apathy or a lack of hunger or complacency, that hunger would come. Thank you that where there is hunger, 
they would be filled. And I thank you for what you're doing in our midst to create new identities. Now, thank you, shackles are coming off. Old mindsets and strongholds and belief systems and lies that would say anything contrary to your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, right now, mindsets are shifting because of your truth. Sanctify us by your truth, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the good news of Jesus. I thank you that your word revolutionizes our walk. That just as you walked into the temple and flipped those tables, you turned the tables of our mind. That every wrong thought is taken captive and it's substituted with your truth. Hallelujah. We give you glory. We thank you that you made a way We thank you that you've given us everything that pertains to life and holiness. That we lack no good thing. That we have every resource to be transformed. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst and that you're uniting us in this truth to encourage one another, to grow together. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If anyone would like prayer, the altar will be open. But otherwise, you're welcome to collect your kids and fellowship. And we love you. And we'll see you Wednesday. Amen. And just, just a reminder, if your kids are in kids' church, if you could see Annalise and the team before you go, just about the Christmas party. Thank you.